The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You guys know I'm a human guinea pig and I'm still here taking Ritual and loving it. Okay. It's filled with iron, vitamin E, magnesium, folate, and omega-3. Kind of everything. It's made in the USA without synthetic fillers. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis. So Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to ritual.com slash skinny today to choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now at ritual.com slash skinny. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Uh-huh. You know, if you have this dream, it's like this vision of your future that is better. It's some better version of yourself and you wake up every morning and and that vision motivates you to get up and start working towards something and start building yourself and it creates the sense of meaning in your life and then as soon as that vision is taken away from you then you you, you feel like there's nothing meaningful to work towards welcome back welcome back everybody everybody Welcome back. That clip was from our guest of the show today, New York Times bestselling mega, mega author Mark Manson. On this episode, we discuss hope, the feeling of hopelessness, why depression is an all-time high, uncomfortable truths, and how to rid yourself of feeling hopeless. My name is Michael Bostic. I am a serial entrepreneur and brand builder, most recently the CEO of the Dear Media Podcast Network and the co-host of the Skinny Confidential Him and Her Show. You don't say. Fancy seeing you here. <laughs> Across from me is my your... voluptuous wife, Lauren Everts, creator what's, of what's the What's voluptuous? Company. I don't know. Your lips are looking good today. <laughs> okay. I did a post on my lip filler. Did anyone see it? Did you see it, babe? I did not see it, but you gotta I got to go check it out. It's on see. the blog. I'm Lauren Everts. I'm the creator of The Skinny Confidential. If you want to read that post, you can just Google The Skinny Confidential Lip Filler. It's up. It's live. Guys, we have so many great episodes coming through. If you didn't check out last week's episode with Khalil Rafati, go check it out. It was a tearjerker. But outside of having some great episodes coming, we also want to know how we can get better, how we can improve. Constant feedback. We read all of the comments, concerns, emails. And we honestly just want you guys to be involved. Give us the feedback. Let us know who you want to interview or us to interview. Yeah. And if this podcast has brought you any kind of value, I know last week I got so much value from Khalil. Please leave a review. It takes five seconds and it's such a great way to build the podcast and build the community because we will be doing live tours soon. Right, Michael? Working on it. So let us know positive, negative, any feedback is good for us to review. Let us know if you want to take a particular guest on the or get a particular guest on the show. Do you know I've been having a lot of requests for someone that you're going to be surprised? Who? Who do you think? I don't I mean, that is there, there's so many different my, my mind goes to 50 different places. A lot of people want Taylor, the bare naked cucumber to come back on the show to give us an update on his one minute man. Situation. Watch, let me guess. Taylor, your mic's not on, is it? Nope, it's not. His mic's never on. He just can't he can't get it together. Do you know what's so funny, too, is on Instagram stories, whenever he sees that I'm walking in, I notice that he starts like pulling his hairbrush out of his drawer and starts, you know, playing with his mustache if he has one or I don't think I've had a mustache all my life, actually. There was like a couple hairs it kind of looked like my mustache look this weekend it's like a long black hair like a evil villain like an evil villain you you do try to like get ready when you see me coming in you know what i should go for is the fu manchu look where you have that long like handlebar mustache that goes down 
Like, must have missed that one. You should go <laughs> Kill Bill. It's it's Palme, and he's got that long. You should go for the competent producer look. Then the competent producer look is having your mic and your headset ready to go when we're podcasting, so you don't have to fiddle back around back there. I made an assumption. I was like, it's probably probably not going to be in this one, and I was wrong. Yep. Again. You never know. I love a plot twist. I want to say ten out of ten times I've been wrong in making that assumption. As Michael's dad said, you're fiddle fucking around. You're fiddle fucking around back there. But a lot of people want Taylor to come back on the podcast to give an update. All right, Taylor, one hundred percent positive i include me i'm down we know we we know know. twist my arm why don't you it's the only threesome you'll ever have with us speaking of people that just that are getting ready to come back on guys one of the most requested guests is ed milette for doing uh, doing a round two lauren and i were just on his show down in orange county and that will be coming soon one of the interesting topics that came up when we were on Ed's show. And if you haven't heard Ed's show with us, it was the beginning of this year that we posted. It's one of the best ones that we've ever done. Um, but when we did this this recent episode with Ed, one of the topics that came up was around self-improvement. And one thing that Lauren and I have been talking about frequently, Lauren. Wait, we've been talking about or I've been telling you about and you've been making it your own idea like you always do. That's more probably a more accurate way all to right. describe it. Is all of us as individuals, everyone listening, ourselves included, we're always so focused on self-improvement, reading books, listening to podcasts, watching seminars, watching doc, whatever it is, self-improvement. And it's very rare that outside of the self-improvement, improving yourself, that you actually take the time to improve the relationships that you have, to improve the intimate relationships you have, the friendships. So Lauren and I, Lauren, I see you looking at me, are really focused and committed on doing that and committed to doing that as well. I just told Michael the other day when we were driving up to Orange County, we had some time in the car, which is rare because normally we're scheduled back to back. I said, you're so focused on self-improvement and and so am I. I think it's so important to improve yourself, which obviously is the foundation. You got to do self-care. You guys know I'm all about that. But I also think that as a couple, instead of growing parallel, it's important to also grow together and work on your relationship together. So, you know, whether that has to do with sex, intimacy, um, writing each other love notes, hint, hint, Michael Bostick, making your wife coffee with cinnamon in the morning, hint, hint, Michael Bostick, massaging your wife's back, (laughs) hint, hint, Michael Bostick. Anyway, I think it's important not to just focus on self-improvement, but to focus on relationship improvement. And that could be a relationship with a friend, too. Yeah. So the, the key message there is just to not focus on only improving yourself, but also focus on improving the relationships around you. Speaking of that, I don't want to bash reading books because we have a very prominent author on the show and we love his books. So who is Mark Manson? Mark Manson is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and blogger. He has a highly popular blog called markmanson.net, and he's the author of the massive international bestseller that many of you have probably read, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. What a title. That book has sold tens of millions of copies and is honestly a phenomenon in the book world. You guys have, if you haven't checked it out, you have to. It's the bright orange cover with a big paint splatter that says fuck right on the front. We were lucky enough to interview Mark during the early days of our podcast career and when his when his first book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, um, was first released. We did not have the pleasure of sitting face to face with him at the time. We now re- we had to do it over Skype, and we now refuse to do interview any interviews um, that aren't in person. We just think it makes for a better interview to have the person right in front of us. So 
no matter who the guest is, that that goes for everybody, even if Obama wants to come on the show. Obama, really? op- Obama, open invite. Um, still, the episode is worth checking out. It's one of our earlier ones just to see his progression and ours. That's episode 48. Well, now Mark is back on the show in person in the studio, and we are talking all about his new book, which I'm sure will be another massive seller. The book is called Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. We love Mark and his writing because he calls it how he sees it while also presenting really insightful, high-level content that is digestible by all. He doesn't try to be fancy. He doesn't try to seem smarter than the rest of us, even though there's a good chance that he is. He is relatable and his books speak volumes. So buckle in for this deep conversation with one of our favorites, Mark Manson. But first, we need to talk about a real epidemic that's happening hypoglycemia. I have found the cure to hypoglycemia. We all have a friend or significant other that's constantly complaining when they get hangry. So I traveled to Charleston last week and these bars, Macro Bar Minis, saved my life. Michael was so grumpy he forgot to eat breakfast, which is normally not a big deal, but for some reason he probably had a small dinner the night before and he was complaining. And when he complains, it's like, uh, you know the teacher in The Peanuts? You know what I mean? Wah, 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 Charlie Brown, wah, wah. That was him while we were traveling. Thank God I had my macro bar minis. Basically, They are these little mini bars that you can keep in your purse and they have amazing ingredients, okay? Ingredients that you want in your purse. They're vegan, they're organic, gluten-free, kosher, non-GMO, clean, raw, and my favorite part, this is a big deal, guys, soy-free. Soy-free is so important. All macro bars are made from simple, high-quality ingredients. Like I said, their mission is to spread awareness for a balanced plant-based lifestyle with products that have positive effects on the world. I have to personally shout out the peanut butter chocolate chip because that's Michael and my favorite. And that's the ones I always keep in my purse. But my nephew also likes the sunflower butter and chocolate. So you just have to do you here. You know what I mean? Anyways, a few cool things about the company that I think make them really unique. They're mother-daughter owned. They use 100% renewable energy in the production of the bars. They're made from sustainably grown ingredients. Like I said, they're plant-based and they're available in over 25,000 stores nationwide, which is insane. Anyways, stock up on the peanut butter chocolate chip. If you have a kid, try out the sunflower butter plus chocolate. You're going to love it. For a hot little 30% off plus free shipping discount, use promo code SKINNY at checkout. You get free shipping plus 30% off when you use the promo code at checkout. That is SKINNY. Guys, try the bars. You're going to love them. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Mark Manson, back in the studio. Actually, the first time in the studio. First time. First time in the studio. Last time we did this was almost three years ago. Almost. Mm -hmm. Episode, I think it's like 48, 50. So we didn't even hit the year mark. And now we're like 180 something. So uh, it's evolved since then. And we didn't have the pleasure of sitting with you the first time. It was over Skype. And those are always a little bit awkward to do because you can't see. Yep. We, you know, we actually refuse to do them now. People come in like, hey, we're going to be on Skype. We're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We, we don't do them. Just because it gets, it's that awkward thing where you're, you're trying to ask somebody a question and you don't know if they're talking or not. And then you're like trying not to interrupt them. So it's good to be able to yeah. look in the face. Your life has been a rocket ship since then, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. The subtle art of not giving a fuck. There's a lot to give a fuck about now, I, th- I think. I, yeah, there is a lot to give a fuck about now. And and I, I think we'll probably get to that. It, it is funny to think back because I think you guys were like one of my first interviews for that book. Wow. And I think it, like, I think it was right around launch week. 
And and so we, I remember talking about that book and being like, oh well, I really hope it does well. And like, gee whiz, like gee whiz, it crushed it. Yeah, <laughs> gee whiz, seven million copies later. What is it? Thirteen? How many countries has this book been a national best or international bestseller? It's been number one in thirteen countries. Wow, that's what I thought. Of. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. I, well, yeah. Lauren's been a fan of your blog content for so long. She showed me early days, even before you had the book. Yeah, and, and then I became a fan. It's been pretty incredible. I mean, literally, you cannot go to an airport in the United States or even most of the world and not see the book. Yeah. It's almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it been nuts. It's been a little bit nuts. So for, for those that are new listeners or new to new audience, mm-hmm. can, let's get a little context, a little background for the, just like, you know, bullet point brief. Sure. Um, so I actually, I started blogging in around 2009, 2010, um, mostly about like relationship advice and, and dating advice. And then... Around 2013, I, I I switched to just talking about life issues because, like, let's be honest, if you're having issues in your dating or relationship life, it's it's because you have a personal issue going on in your your personal life. And then as soon as I did that, it just it just blew up. It my blog took off, started getting millions of readers, had a bunch of articles go viral, and then from that, I got I got the book deal for Subtle Art. And then, you know, the the goal, my my style and my approach has always been. You know, it's self de- it's self help and personal development, but it's it's non bullshitty. You know, I, I've always felt that that whole genre of of book is kind of you're just, not sugarcoating anything. Yeah, it's all fluffy and rainbows, and you know, hey guys, we're all the greatest. And, and no, 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 that's not. We're not all the greatest. You know, like life sucks sometimes, and um, and so I, I really wanted to write a book that was just very honest about that. That just things suck, we fail a lot, and uh, we need to just get good at accepting it and dealing with it. And yeah, it resonated big time. What kind of response was it from the first book? Ooh, I mean, it just, the, the funny thing is, is I, I, it's weird being an author because you're so removed from your fans and followers. So it, it, it was literally just me waking up every other day and like clicking on the numbers and being like, oh, wow, they went up again, like 5%. And that just happened like a hundred weeks in a row <laughs> to the point, you know, where it's like you hit a million sales and then 2 million sales and then 3 million sales and 5 million and 6 million. And, and the whole time I'm just kind of sitting around on my couch, like, this is crazy. What about like DMS and people tagging you on Instagram story and Instagram? I must, I mean, that must've been crazy. I know I went to Instagram the book right away. Cause like yeah. the cover is dynamic. We yeah. talked about this a little bit off air. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean the, the tags and DMS and everything I've always gotten you know, even back in my blogging days, I'd get tons of those. So I, I was kind of used to that. And I've already got like, you know, my assistant kind of screens them and, you know, I, I've got, I schedule my time. It's like every Monday afternoon, it's like I go through all my email and my DMs and everything. And um, so so it was weird because my life didn't really change, but there's this, this huge book out there that's that's on everybody's bookshelf. So it was a very strange and kind of disorienting experience. It, it was, I think when I talk to people, they expect that, it's like this, you know, massive, like you said, a rocket ship taking off. Like all of a sudden your life's just completely different. But it, it was actually, it was very disorienting in the opposite way in that my life felt exactly the same. But, you know, there's like three million of my book out there or whatever. When your publisher sees you, do they just look with like hearts in their eyes? Funny signs. Funny signs coming out of their eyes. They roll the red carpet or what? You know, it's so funny. So when I was taking 
when you know before subtle art came out when i was taking meetings at my publisher you know i i live in new york so i'd actually go down to the office and and they'd put me in like a cramped little conference room and it'd be like my editor and, anymore and some assistant publicist and they're like all right we got 15 minutes like you know here's the one thing we're gonna do for you and now I go down there, and it's like the CEO comes out, the uh -huh. VP of marketing, the uh -huh. VP of publicity. Ask for caviar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I should just create a writer for every time I walk in. They bring in the, in the drink cards. <laughs> yeah, totally. When, when did you decide that you wanted to write another book? How quickly? Well, it, it, so it's funny because there was tons of pressure. That is one thing that happened is that as soon as Subtle Art took off, there was tons of pressure to write another one, like immediately after. And so I signed on to do another one. But it took about a year for me, you know, the way my writing process works is is it's kind of like therapy for me. So I need, it, it's the way I process all the crap that I deal with in my life is I write it out. And so I needed, I needed more time to kind of figure out what I needed to process. I always tell Michael as a creative, it takes me a minute to wrap my head around things. Yes. I can't just, and, and when you create something, you almost need space between the next creation. Absolutely. I, I feel for you. Absolutely. That. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's like if you go out and run 10 miles or something, like you can't just get up and run 10 miles the next day. Yeah. Like, you're not a fucking racehorse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You gotta, yeah. you gotta rest and recover and, and kind of like recalibrate. So it took about a year to start this next one. So I just I have my notes up now and I see episode 48. That's the episode you want. So if people want to go and look back and, and listen to that episode about the subtle art of not giving a fuck, you should go there. The new book, Everything is Fucked. A book about hope. A book about hope. We all need some hope. Let's Because <laughs> everything's fucked. Let's dive in. So let's, why talk, like what, what made you want to write about hope? Like what triggered that? Was it kind of the response to this book or was it analyzing yeah. human culture? Like what, what was it that made you want to write about hope specifically? So it was a combination of two things, really. The, the first was personal. So like I said, the, the whole subtle art thing was very disorienting. disorienting. And, and one of the reasons why was, and this, sounds, this is going to sound crazy to people, but hear me out. You know, I had a dream for like 10 years. I want to be an author. I want to be a best-selling author. I want to sell a bunch of books. I want to like go speak all around the world and all these things. And that dream carried me for a decade. Like I worked my ass off for a decade. And in my mind, I was going to work on towards the, you know, these dreams for the next 20, 30 years of my life. And slowly, one by one, I'd accomplish them and I'd have a very like meaningful and fulfilled career. Subtle Art knocked all of those out and like three months. So mm -hmm. I basically go from, you know, sitting at my desk thinking like, all right, yeah, I've got this long career ahead of me because I've got all these goals. And then boom, all the goals are done. That's They're gone. so gnarly. And it's astronaut syndrome. Yeah. What is that? Astronauts, when they go to the moon and uh -huh. they come back to earth, they feel depressed because yes. they've gone to the moon. And so what, what ends up happening is if you grow too fast, yes. it almost ends up fucking you. Yes, absolutely. And it's funny because you got to write, write a blog on that. Yeah. So I, yeah, I got depressed like 2017. I was actually the most depressed I've been since like I was a teenager. So interesting. And the worst part about it is that you can't really tell anybody because they're like, hey, asshole, you just sold a million books. You know, oh. like <laughs> people, do, people can't relate. Absolutely. But it's very common with with high achievers where they yeah. they think that this, you know, they're going to spend their life attaining this goal, but then they get it. Yeah. And it's like 
what do I do now? Yes. Walk us through that though. So you, you're, you're, you're depressed. Mm-hmm. You can't talk to anyone. What do you do? Like, do you just sit in it? Well, I played a lot of Zelda. Um, which Don't one? Don't you play that? The Breath of the Wild. Okay. The, it's so good. It's, it is really good. <laughs> played a lot of Zelda. I played a lot of video games and it, it, it was funny because, you know, I think everybody has this, this, this imagination that it's that it's like you know you get this huge bestseller book you get a ton of money dumped on you <laughs> and suddenly like you don't really have to do anything any- like i i there were whole months that i sat around in 2017 didn't do a damn thing and i checked you know the reports and everything and it's like oh sales went up 20% this month so it, there's this bizarre thing where it's like wow i'm making more money every month by not working and when people hear that they're like dude that's that's the fucking life. Like, what are you talking about? But people don't realize how it gets old very fast. Like it, it's, you know, you take the wife to Paris and then you, you know, maybe take your parents to a nice restaurant or something and you buy a few things. And then like three weeks later, you're like, what now? It's very relatable in a way, right? I always, we, we, we talked about on the show, there's that line in the, in the dark night, the Batman. Yeah. I've talked about it here before where they're basically like interrogating the Joker. Yeah. And he says, I'm like a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do with it if I caught it. Exactly. It's like that. And so you have to, you know, you have to find those moments between the goals and between the process yes. where you're enjoying it Yeah. because it's the same thing. Like we have this issue too, like not celebrating a milestone or a success mm-hmm. because I think every time you do that, when you get to the goal, you're like, okay. Like now it's what? not which first it's not what you expect. Yes. You're not as happy as you are yep. when you get there. That's my experience. Yep. And then you're you're constantly like, okay, well, I did that. What else are you doing? It leaves you almost in a way feeling unfulfilled, which is scary because something that you chase for so long, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you realize, like, wait a minute, I've got it. Yeah. I'm not that happy. Why am I not that happy? Yeah. So back to the question of kind of where this book came from. This this whole astronaut syndrome, like it, it really fascinated me. I was like, what the hell, you know, what what the hell is going on? Like the last time I was this depressed was when my life was awful and like I, a bunch of things had gone wrong. And so it got me thinking about hope because, you know, if you have this dream, it's like this vision of your future that is better. It's some better version of yourself and you wake up every morning and and that vision motivates you to get up and start working towards something and start building yourself and it creates the sense of meaning in your life. And then as soon as that vision is taken away from you, then you 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 feel like there's nothing meaningful to work towards. Um, and and the most typical way this happens is, you know, like somebody close to you dies or a relationship ends or you get fired from a job or something like that. And what I never considered is that another way that vision, that dream can be yanked away from you is if you achieve it. Um, and so if you hit all your dreams at the same time, suddenly you have no more dreams and you have no vision for the future. You have no, you, you don't know what to hope for anymore. And so this idea that, that we're essentially motivated by hope and also we derive meaning for, from what we hope for in our lives was kind of the starting point of this next book. So that's the first component. That's the personal side. The second component that kind of motivated this book was I think we can all agree. I mean, you you guys, your career's on social media, my career's on social media. I mean, you get on social media for 10 minutes and you would think like it's the fucking apocalypse is upon us. You know, <laughs> everybody is freaking out over everything all the time. And then two days later, they, they've like forgotten what they freaked about, out about two days before because there's something new that everybody's freaking out about. And so, you know, everybody's kind of feeling this like growing sense of panic and stress 
in our in our culture. And there's this really interesting paradox that's going on right now, which is, you know, materially, the world is better than it's ever been. We're safer, healthier, wealthier. We're living longer. We've cured a bunch of diseases. Making more money. Uh, making more money, you know, fewer wars, less violence, more equality, you know. More connected, everything, yeah. Yeah, but depression, anxiety, suicide, drug overdoses, all these things are coming back in a big way. They're surging right now. And so if everything is so good, if everything's the best it's ever been, like why is everybody emotionally and psychologically um, just feeling so panicked and like upset all the time? And so I made this connection of like, you know, this idea of hope that is, you know, such a central issue of my my life over the last few years. Um, I kind of looked out in the world and, and it's, I. I think there are a lot of things about our technology, about our media, about social media that are making hope difficult these days. It's it's complicating our ability to create that vision for ourselves or that vision for our society or our culture. And what's uh, an, like what's an example of that? So <clears throat> a really basic example is like let's say you want to lose some weight. Very simple example. Uh you go online, you look around, you're like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, you know, gluten, carbs are bad. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, okay, so I'll stop, stop eating carbs. 10 minutes later, there's all these articles start popping up on your newsfeed saying that, no, carbs are great. It's fat that's bad. And then there's, you know, the next day, there's a bunch of articles that are saying that, you know, nutritionists don't know anything and they're tricking you just to make money. And then there's another thing that pops up and says, no, 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 don't listen to them. Buy my ebook. And it's, there's all these like conflicting and it's like information overload it, and it's co contradictory information. So, you know, for me personally, with like the whole nutrient, like, I don't even know what the fuck to believe anymore. Like I've you seen can't eat anything, you can't eat anything. Everything's going to kill you. <laughs> Everything's going to make you fat. You know, it, it's so you just stop caring and you just, you're like, well, fuck it. You know, why, why pursue anything? And so I think in a sense that that information overload, it, since it's so contradictory, it makes it hard to find like something coherent to wish for, some like coherent path to pursue. And I think that's just happening on so many levels of our society. Like it's everything from politics to education to relationships. I mean, if you take something like Tinder, you know, it's on on paper, it sounds amazing. It sounds perfect. But it's like anybody who's spent a year on Tinder knows that it's it's like this hellscape because it complicates you you reach a point where there's so much so many options you don't even know who you're attracted to anymore you know you don't even know who you, you want to be those with. college kids they build the machines with the eraser and it just the, the pencil spinning around it just swipes right the whole on every picture <laughs> <laughs> no but that's pretty funny <laughs> it just, it just, it, they don't even look at the phone it just it's just a machine that twirls around and around i think we all kind of missed the tinder era yeah yeah all three of us did yeah. you yeah. certainly missed it <laughs> I know. For sure. thank you know thank god though i don't know what i would be doing yeah yeah it's funny because i remember if i did maybe i'll get somebody to build me one of those machines who knows yeah <laughs> tinder came out like i think like a year after my wife and I met. And I remember I remember when it came out, my wife and I were like, oh man, maybe we, maybe we should just like break up for two weeks, just like, just to go on Tinder and see what it's like. And and now it's all of our single friends are like, man, you guys are so lucky. It's a dark world out there. I've seen <laughs> some of our buddies on there. It's, it's, listen, power to anybody that wants to use it, but sure. it, it's a, 
it's a, it's a, some of those people report a dark, dark world. Yeah. So, so what should you do with all this information? Should you get off social media? Should you not let it affect you? What's, what's your thought there? I think, I think the social media question is, um, it's, we need to become much more conscious of how we're using our attention. Um, I, I'm definitely not one of these people who thinks that, you know, Facebook's ruining the world and we need to delete everything. Like I, I think there are practical uses for social media and, and there are benefits to it. But I think the problem is, is that it's such a new technology and it's such a, a new force in our culture that, that we, we need to be aware of the drawbacks. We need to be aware of how we're using it. Um, and we need to train ourselves to, uh, have a lot more control over our attention or, or our choices that we're making. Um, I think it's the same way, you know, like when TV came out, people freaked out. They're like, oh man, kids are just watching TV 10 hours a day. And it's cause it, it's a new thing. Nobody realized, uh, the effect it had on people's brains. And, you know, by the time you get to the eighties and nineties people, there's all sorts of like tools and tricks and parents learn. It's like, yeah, don't let your kids sit in front of the TV all day. Like it's, we have to learn to psychologically adapt our behavior to the technology. And I think just with, with social media and the internet, everything's happening so fast. Like we never have time to do that. We always feel like, like it's running us, not the other way around. I think it's just because of our relationship to it. Like there's, you know, there can be healthy balances to that, but people can abuse those yes. relationships. Um, so would it be fair to say, and tell me if I'm wrong here, that I don't want to say the sum of, it's not the sum of the book, but like the core, one of the core principles is that in order to consistently generate happiness or be happy that you have to find hope in an area of your life. Is that yes. fair to say? And I think at the core of your book, you're saying, you know, we as humans, we want to feel in control all the time. And mm -hmm. if we feel out of control, there's a feeling of hopelessness. Yes. So what have you seen then to inspire hope in individuals? Well, I think, so I have, I have a chapter in the book that I talk about freedom and, and one of my, I have a criticism of our, our cultural conception of what freedom is, is, is I think, I think our cultures confuse freedom with variety. It's confused freedom with, with opportunity. I think in terms of like, and a lot of this comes from commercialism and, and, and stuff like that, but it's, you know, if you ask a random person off the street, like, would you rather have the choice between two types of pizza or 15 types of pizza? You know, everybody's going to say 15. That's, we perceive that as more valuable, but in a lot of areas, adding more variety and, and opportunity for experience actually detracts from uh, the meaning and, and, and uh, enjoyment of that experience. So for instance, it's like, like if you want to try to learn or like every sport, if you want to go out and do baseball and basketball and track and football, like you're not going to be good at any of them. You know, this is, it's, it's basic common sense, but we don't apply this to the information that we consume. Um, we, we sit on the internet and we consume everything. We dive down every rabbit hole. We feel like we're missing out from everything that comes through. And so there's, I try to redefine our concept of freedom, not as experiencing more necessary. Uh, I, I redefine it as, as self-limitation. The only true freedom is deciding which ways you're going to limit yourself. You know, what are my social media habits going to be? What is the information I'm going to consume? What What is the one sport I'm going to pursue? You know, this is the only freedom in life, especially when you live in a world of abundance, of infinite opportunity. 
Um, because when you have infinite opportunity, like you just, you start losing control of your, your attention and your, your impulses. I always say that you're the top five people of, of whose content you consume. Yeah. So I strategically picked five people that I was going to consume every day. And those are the only five Instagram stories I watch and I will not watch anyone else's. Yeah. And I put that limitation on myself. So, and that's, I think that's helped me or else I would go down a rabbit hole. Like you said, of so oh, yeah. many different people. Oh well, yeah. And when you look at successors, I'll use, I'll use you and Lauren as an example. Like yeah. You guys really started in a niche area writing on blogs. Yeah. And over time, like the success of those writings evolved into, you know, best-selling books and podcasts and, and whatnot. But you didn't launch and say, okay, I'm going to do a YouTube channel and Instagram. I'm going to do a blog. I'm yeah. going to go do a podcast. Like you, you started in one specific area. And I think a lot of people are seeing individuals create online now and they're like, oh, okay, they're doing all of those things. Maybe you're looking at a career that's been established over 10 years. Yeah. You're saying, okay, I'm going to do all of those things. Like I will say, I'm not the best on social at the heart. I'm, I'm a business person. Um, but I like to talk. So I was like, okay, I'll get on a mic. That's easy. Like yeah. have interesting conversations. If I try to do everything else, I think I'd be completely fucked. Sure. I mean, there, there's a practical component, which is, you know, Jack of all trades the, is an expert at none. But then there's like a, there's a well-being component as well. And I think, you know, what, what we didn't have to, you know, so back in the day, like our parents or grandparents, like there's three channels on TV. So if you don't like what's on, you just turn the TV off. You know, today there's essentially with the internet, there's infinite number of channels. And so we've lost, we, we haven't, I don't think we've realized as a culture that we need to develop the skill to just turn it off. And we're, instead, we let ourselves be sucked down those rabbit holes consistently. Let's take a quick break. Do you have your ritual vitamins next to your copper tongue cleaner, your electric toothbrush and cinnamon toothpaste? I know I do. If you don't, you're missing out. Ritual is so efficient, you guys. It's basically everything you need in one vitamin. So what I do is I wake up, I scrape my tongue, I brush my teeth, a little cinnamon toothpaste, and then I take two every morning. I always do this after I scrape my tongue because let's be honest, you don't want to swallow without scraping your tongue. It's gross. Everything from the night before. And then you take your ritual and it's like this minty, fresh goodness from ritual vitamins, which is so cool because they're infused. The vitamins, guys, are infused with peppermint oil. And if you want to know the specifics here, because if you're like me, you're specific, it's an obsessively researched vitamin. So if you go on their website, everything is broken down. I love this. It's so clear. It's concise. It's straight to the point. So ritual has no shady additives. I love this. You love this. And it's for the obsessive label reader because it's vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free, just everything that's so TSC-approved. It's also a subscription, and the subscription is so easy to start, and it's also easy to stop. It's basically a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month with no strings attached. For me, I have a big problem with D3. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. So I really like how Ritual has a lot of D3 in it. It also has omega-3, which is known to grow your hair and nails. And after bleaching my hair, I need all the help I can get. Better health doesn't happen overnight. And right now, Ritual is offering all Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners, 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation in your body. Visit Ritual.com com slash skinny to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash skinny. I'm telling you, you guys are going to love the essential for women ritual vitamin. Make sure you keep it next to your tongue cleaner. 
So let's say somebody's reading your work or listening to this podcast or mm -hmm. going to a seminar. There's a section of your book where you write about people feeling in control because they're able to change themselves or change aspects of their life. Yeah. You say that ends up, and correct me if I'm wrong, being somewhat confusing. And then we've, there's a sense of hopelessness. So how do you, yeah. when you're, if you're talking to an individual, how do you, I don't want to say coach them, but maybe point them in the right direction of like, this is the type of content you should consume, or this is the way you should contextualize consuming content. I, I think... I mean, if you think about it, if you have an infinite amount of information out there, infinite infinite opportunity to access that information, the most important question becomes what information are you going to decide is most valuable to you? And that is that needs to be a conscious decision that we make for ourselves. Yeah. Um, because if you just follow the viral clickbait that pops up all the time, I mean, that, that's that's essentially the same thing as you know, being a couch potato and watching TV for 10 hours. Like you have no, you are taking no active role in the information uh, that that dominates your life. And so like like Lauren said, like I think I, I really like that idea of like picking five people because it's, it's you, you essentially decide like, okay, these are the people I trust. You know, you look for sources of information that you trust that relate to your interests and um, you know, just bring joy to your life in general. And then you just cut out the rest. Like you, you don't, you don't need to hear all sides of every story and get sucked into every little narrative. You know, it, it, one thing I find, I think one of the, one of the, one of the reasons we're seeing so much political dysfunction in our world today is that it's essentially that it's all of the quote unquote issues are basically just clickbait. You know, it's, the stuff that actually affects us as a society doesn't even get mentioned anymore um, for the simple reason that it doesn't drive traffic, it doesn't drive clicks, it doesn't create outrage, um, doesn't create tweet, headline. tweet storms. And I think we talked about this before too, where just people picking up stories that don't really necessarily have any, any relevancy, yeah. but it's just you're outraged about something that literally has no effect on you. Yeah. Exactly. It, sound, it sounds like the takeaway to the audience here is that instead of subconsciously consuming social media on a day-to-day -day basis, sit down and have a very real conversation with yourself, write it out about what you want to consume, how you want to consume it, when you want to consume it. Like I have this guilty pleasure where I, I read daily mail, which is like mm -hmm. total trash, yeah. but I love it. <laughs> and I, 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 I sure they love you ever saying that. <laughs> I, no, I mean like, I, I just, I love like just sitting down and eating a sandwich and reading daily mail. Like yeah. there's something about it that's relaxing. So I have told myself, okay, if I'm going to read daily mail, like I just want to read it at lunch. I don't want to wake up and read that because it's going to offset my yep. day. So I think putting those limitations on yourself is super helpful. Um, instead of hopping out of bed and getting your cortisol all up because you've just consumed 10 different, like it's, it's too much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my argument is that that is actually what freedom is. Freedom is actually being able to decide okay, this 30 minutes each day is what I dedicate to Daily Mail because it's not important enough. You know, it, it's a it's an empty pleasure, you know. Um, I've done the same thing with my guilty pleasure is uh, Twitch, like watching video games on Twitch. And it's, I if I don't, if I don't create those parameters for myself, I will sit on that damn thing like for three hours straight and not get anything done. And so it's, for me, I've done the same thing. My lunch break, it's like, all right, load up Twitch, watch something. You know, I so. got a good Twitch channel. Have you seen those ones now that they're where they're role playing GTA? Have you heard of this? 
<laughs> the people are like getting I, I just actually I just met with Twitch yesterday and they were telling me that there's a channel that exists where all these gamers go in and they actually role play like down to the T. Really? The characters in GTA, like they are, they become the people. It's a, that's the whole thing going I on. I gotta now. see that. I think there, there's so much, and this is kind of a tangent, but there's so <laughs> much room on Twitch for like, I can't wait to see what Twitch is like in like 10 years. They're, they're going to start to evolve into other things. But I mean, listen, Amazon is just. Oh man, yeah. They, they're taking over the world, man. Yeah. With Twitch and everything. So <laughs> there's a there's a section of this book where you talk about people feeling in control because they feel like they can change, right? Yes. Like they can read your information. Like, okay, maybe I'm out of control right now, but if I read Mark's book, I can change this aspect of my life, and I'm then I can have a source of hope, and I can change, and I'm in control of that. Sure. And you you somewhat make the argument like, is it, how realistic is it that people can just change on a dime like that? Well, I yeah, one thing I talk about, which I I think it's a very kind of ironic thing about self help, is so this idea, let's say you go to a you go to a self-help seminar and you're like, you know what, I want to like, I'm too anxious all the time. I really want to get better. I want to change. I don't want to be, I don't want to be so stressed out all the time. And that desire to change is your vision of hope. So that, that gets you motivated, gets you up, gets you going to the seminar, yada, yada, yada. What the funny thing that happens, and anybody who's spent a lot of time in the self-help world has probably seen this, is you go to that seminar, you decide, oh my God, I don't feel anxious anymore. I've changed. Great. But that vision of hope is gone. So you don't know what to hope for anymore. You know, and God forbid you decide like, well, I guess I'm fine now. I like myself. No, there's something else at that seminar that you're like, oh shit, I need to change that now. And so you get, you see a lot of people kind of get into this endless, it's almost like a treadmill of, Mm -hmm. okay, I got to change this about myself. And then they go and change it. And they're like, oh God, now I got to change that. Oh, okay. Now I got to change that. And it's, and if you actually watch them, n- nothing's really changing. It's just their perception of themselves is is constantly, you know, going around in circles. Um, and so it's one, one of the arguments I, I make in the book is like, look, like, stop, you know, stop worrying about yourself. You know, essentially it, when you fall into this trap of constantly wanting to change yourself, really what you're doing is you're just, you're just becoming self-absorbed because you're constantly thinking about yourself. If you don't want to be anxious, don't worry about yourself. Just worry about anxiety. You know, just worry about like not feeling anxious. Don't worry about what that means about you. What that says. Are you an anxious person? Oh, maybe I was anxious before. Well, now, now I'm not. It's like who knows? Who knows what an anxious person is? Just like try to live your life as best as you can. And so it's one of my big. I, I actually I, I I take some shots at the self help world in, in this book, and and that's one of them because I think. I've always felt like there's a lot of counterproductive aspects to the self-help world. And I think a lot of it comes back to that. Really what self-help is is selling you is some kind of arbitrary vision of hope. You know, it's like, buy this book, be less anxious, go to this seminar, you know, feel better about yourself. And it's, you don't really know who you are in the first place. And, and you're not going to really know who you are afterwards. You know, so it's just focus on the single moments and actions that you commit to throughout your life we've received some shit because or maybe i've just received some shit because we, we went to this tony robinson i was like listen i appreciate what he's doing and, sure. I, and i like his content a lot of read all his books but i looked around at the seminar and it's like you see all these people jumping up and down they're all excited and they're high-fiving and i just like felt like okay how many are actually going to go and apply this for a very long time to their act to their life sure. but mark's right he's selling hope yeah and that but that's what i'm saying is that 
how is that temporary hope or is that, you know what I'm saying? Well, the funny thing about Tony Robbins and, and I have a lot of conflicted feelings about it. Like, I think he's got a lot of really good advice. Um, I like how you squint when you say, yeah, <laughs> careful here. Really good advice. No, so the funny thing, so my my take on Robbins is is I I actually think a lot of his advice is good. Um, I think the execution of it, I think the business model, the, his business model is not optimized for people. It's optimized for money. Yeah, and you know that is what it is. Like if and and I imagine his argument would be like it's it's a means to an end. You know, it's like well, hey, I'm helping people so whatever well, his message is good and his content's great but yeah i just think you have to contextualize how those seminars are put out oh but so the seminar thing you know what i, I what i mean about his business model too is that it's it's optimized for to create that kind of almost religious feeling of hope of like just getting a bunch of people in the room and rah rah and and, and pumping he even says it he pumps their state he pumps them pumps their them up emotionally so that they're a little bit more squishy and moldable to, to hear his advice. But the problem is, is, is those emotional pumps never last. And, and then on top of that, he's, you know, to kind of bring this back to the, the whole treadmill of hope thing that I was talking about. If you go spend, if you go spend time at Tony Robbins seminars, you actually, you get, you, you, you get pitched for other Tony Robbins seminars, like half the time you're there. And that's what me and Michael were so interested when we went because we were looking at the business aspect. So we went yeah. in and we're like, oh my God, look at that like stand that t- that tells you that you need to go to Tahiti to do business. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Like yep. there's so many different facets that it's interesting to look at it from a business perspective. Yeah. And it's, it, and it makes me feel a little skeezy too. Um, the one, the one that I saw was, was he did this whole thing where he he pitched he like upsold so everybody's at like a thousand dollar seminar but then he spends like an hour pitching a ten thousand dollar seminar and he everybody who signs up he brings up on stage and he's like these are the people who have tried who are investing in themselves and decided to change their lives you know so he's basically like guilt tripping the whole audience for not signing up and stuff like that that just feels very emotionally manipulative to me and 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 it's i think it's a perfect example of like leveraging those constant cycles of hope you know it's like you've got these people in this room they want to change themselves but if they do change themselves then they don't know what to hope for next so you give them a you know a ten thousand dollar seminar and that then they can hope for that what's happening here behind closed doors are you getting a lot of shit from a lot of these self-help authors you get people (laughs) people messaging you dude no i you know what's funny i get cold shoulders you know it's you get cold shoulders yeah you're so approachable and nice yeah um it's you know, people, I'd say it's split, you know, pretty, I'd say it's like 70, 30, like 70% of the people in the industry, you know, they, they really respect what I say, or a lot of them are like, thank God somebody's saying it. Um, but I'd say there's probably like 25, 30% of the people in the industry who just. Yeah. Cause bullshitters don't like being call, called out. Of course. Of who course. Are these people? Drop names. <laughs> no. Drop the names. No, I, I don't want to go that no. far, but it, it's, um, um, it is frustrating sometimes. Um, You're not a, a salesy, selly, sleazy kind of guy at all. No, I'm the opposite. Yeah. Honestly, like my 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 team is always like, dude, you got to pitch sometime. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot to sell my thing. Yeah, but look look what that did. I mean, yeah. look, look how many sales you got. Well, You're yeah. doing something right. Yeah, and I think I, I strongly believe that and I know Gary Vee talks about this a lot. I strongly believe in this kind of comes back to information overload, but like in this day and age where there's just so much bullshit being slung around all the time, like authenticity and trust is like 
one of the most valuable things you can have uh, as you know an influencer or anybody with a platform it's like you you cannot and i used to tell people on my team this it's 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 protecting that trust that my readers have for me like the fact that i'm being honest like i've told my team i'm like if we lose that we lose everything like it's the only reason they're here is because they trust me and they they believe what people i'm saying people don't want the bs it's like me coming on it's okay listen you want to learn how to create a great podcast yeah give me 9.99 i'm going to show you how to yeah. do it it's like <laughs> motherfucker like don't do that like, people I, wonder why that doesn't work i want to give it all away for free let me yeah. teach you, I mean, you how know? to build a social media following if you just give me 49.99 i completely <laughs> agree with you that that's the foundation of an audience is, is keeping and maintaining that trust it's so important oh absolutely absolutely it's funny you mentioned that uh you know, I, my go-to, I get asked all the time, like, how do, how do you, how do I build a blog? How do I build a, a business out of a blog? And, uh, my go-to answer for years was write 50 posts and come back and ask me again. And like, <laughs> I don't do it out of like a hundred, hundreds of people who asked, maybe two people did it. Tell the Charlie or not Charlie. Well, Charlie you probably Munger. heard of some version of this, but basically someone asked Warren Buffett his investing secret. He's like, okay, if you sit down for five hours a day and you read these papers and these yeah. books and these things, you do that every single day and you make long-term decisions and you basically take this information. It's like, that's exactly what I've done. That's exactly how I made the money. He's like, well, I'll tell you like 99% of the people will never do this. Yep. It's just people don't want to put in the work. I mean, on this side of it, obviously running your media, people come and say, okay, how do you do a podcast? I said, listen, you have to go, you have to be willing to put in at least a year minimum yeah. of really like perfect. I mean, honestly, when we first interviewed you, we were in a warehouse yeah. with a, <laughs> maybe in our bedroom and I think, it was, yeah i think you guys were it was home. very yeah. like i mean i, I think if someone if people go back and listen to that you'll they'll see the the difference but it's, yeah. you have to i mean listen like i said we're at almost 200 of these things now you have to yeah. put in the time like yeah. it's just in, in anything you got to put in the time and no course is going to fast track you there oh yeah yeah i mean i i always told people with blogging it's like two years minimum before you you can even define your voice. I didn't make yeah. a dime for three years, and I blog seven days a week. Not wow. one dime. Wow. Uh, so like when people ask me that, I'm like, you you got to have your intention. Like yeah. it's got to be the right intention of why you're starting. And you got to love it. Like you got to every blogger I know who who's made it, if you want to call it that, they didn't start to make money. They started just because they really wanted to say something. And, um, you know, for me, it was just this goofy thing that my friends were doing and I was trying to like, I had this affiliate business and, you know, blogging was, a, it was the cool new thing that everybody was doing in 2008. And so I was like, all right, screw it. I'll, I'll start writing a blog. And, uh, I didn't even take it seriously for like two, three years. Um, but by then I had built up like, you know, a cult following and found my voice and figured out like you love doing it yeah what works and yeah and i discovered i was like wow i really enjoy it. like it was the highlight of i'm of obsessed my day. with your blog i love <laughs> my favorite post i think i told you this on the last episode and i'm i'm gonna flub the title is about what are you willing to struggle for yes oh i love that yeah one. so good you guys go google it what is it do you remember it's, the it's title? called the most important question of your life it's so good yeah. i actually wrote about it on the skinny confidential because it was so good yeah. is that how you guys originally got connected that's how i i, Did I, you do a I actually message? took his article completely obviously gave you all the credit and said this is his article from his site and this really resonated with me and I shared it um shared it and i think you like retweeted it or something this yeah. was a long time ago um but i'm obsessed with that article everyone yeah. should read it yeah, it's that that was one of my first like big viral articles. I think that was 2014. 
Besides reading your book, what can people do at home that's something they can do every day that will provide more hope in their life? Oof. I think I think it's it's important to actually just take time for yourself and just actually cut off. Like I I think it's it's becoming way, way, way more difficult to kind of just sit silently and think for yourself. Um well, I'm glad you're talking about this. Yeah, it's uh and and it's so funny because when when I tell people this, they're like, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, meditation. Yeah, I, I've got this program I'm doing, and I've, I'm on like level six on my app. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You just like sit and just twiddle your thumbs for a while and um, think critically about you know whatever's going on in your life. You know, journaling can be a really good way to do it. Um, I'm actually like, it's reading like really long books. I'm becoming more and more of a fan of that. It's just like finding the longest book that seems interesting to me. That and, sounds like you. <laughs> and just take it slowly. Like there's something I'm trying to like train myself to savor uh, like really slow, gradual satisfaction um, because everything else that goes on in my life like works against that. Yeah, it's, it's fast paced. I guess yeah. I'm, I'll share some good book recommendations with you if you're looking for like. What, really what are you reading right long. now, though? That's really long. I'm reading. Well, there's a. Do you know James Clavell? You heard of him? Wrote the book Shogun and Taipan. I've heard of Shogun. Yeah. Those books, Shogun, Taipan, Gaijin. Books, so, I mean, they're like 1,500 pages each. Like, yeah. that, that'll occupy some time. You yeah. know what I do? Awesome. I instead of turning my phone off, I let it die. So oh. you can't turn it on. Yeah. And then I take a real book. And like one of those vintage book lights, yeah. you know, you know what I'm talking about from Barnes yes. and Noble, and that's like what I'll have. That's awesome, and that really helps. People yeah. don't like to be alone with their thoughts. No, I mean, think about it. You go for a run, you got to put on a podcast, or you got to put on music. Mm -hmm. You do anything, you got to be go go out with somebody. Nobody can sit alone at the bar by themselves. Like no, people don't like to be alone with their yeah. own thoughts. I just had a conversation with a buddy of mine. He's like, listen, I think I talked about it the other day. He's like, everything's going so well, but I've never been this depressed. And he's just constantly around people, whether it's in his office mm -hmm. or girlfriend or whatever it is, he's constantly stimulated. And so when he gets alone, he doesn't, he like doesn't know how to function right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost, you have to like, uh, desensitize yourself, you know, back to, to not having something to do constantly. And it's, um, you know, one thing I talk about in the book too is you just mentioned your buddies, like everything's going well in his life. Yep. Why am I so miserable? And I, I think that that's kind of the core question that so many of us are confronting right now. And one of the points that I make in the book is that if you really look at just kind of how human psychology is built, like there's, there's a Goldilocks level of stress that we need. Um, like if life is too easy and it's too like, it, it, it flows too well, there's not any resistance or challenge anywhere. Um, it starts to lose its sense of meaning because it's it's the struggle is to bring it back to the article you love it's the struggle that actually creates the sense of meaning it's it's by sacrificing something by feeling some sort of pain that makes an experience when we look back feel like it was worthwhile and meaningful to us and so when you remove all those struggles and stresses and pains and everything and it it, it all just seems to feel superfluous and pointless um and so what I talk about is, you know, there's this Goldilocks level of pain. So if there's too little, everything feels meaningless. And if there's too much, then you just become traumatized and emotionally damaged and all this stuff. So there's like, you need to like lean in just enough that you feel like there's meaningful challenge, um, but not go too far to one end and burn yourself out or not go too far to the other end and make yourself too comfortable. It's very war of art. 
Yeah. Um, I selfishly want to know mm-hmm. your process. Is there a time that you wake up every morning that you write your book? Is it just when you feel like it? I like, I want to know what how you've trained yourself. Yeah. Tell us how you've trained yourself <laughs> to, to write these books. I mean, because I know how much discipline that is to sit down and stare at a computer screen. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, I wish I had, I'm not good with like consistent structure. Um, what I have found is that my best creative times are in the morning and at night. So how early and how late? I don't like getting up super early. So usually, you know, if I'm working on a book, like working on this book, I would typically get up 7.30 or 8 and then I'd be working on it. I'd be sitting down by 9 and working on it. And um, and for me, it's I have I have a laptop. So I have my normal computer and then I have a laptop, which on the laptop, everything is blocked. I have one of those those programs that's called Focus. Mm-hmm. That's so smart. <laughs> everything is blocked. That's genius. Everything. That's self-discipline. Yes. Well, it, it's I needed it. Like uh, and, I'm going to do that to your computer so you can't watch porn on any of the screens. <laughs> Focus only on the porn. Focus, yeah. <laughs> when you're watching porn, there's only porn. Uh, but it's so everything is blocked, and I and I even set up the program that uh, it has a thing called hardcore mode, which means you can't actually you like block yourself from getting into the settings and changing it. So it's like I can't even go in and change it anymore. Um, Those programs are intent. Our, our producer Taylor installed Taylor. What was that fucking program you installed? The alarm. We had to do that. He woke up and he was having. Alarm! You have Taylor, to solve what did you do again? Uh, like really in-depth math equations. The longer the alarm goes off, <laughs> and you can't turn it off unless you do it. He but he couldn't get to the he couldn't figure out the the problems to, or the answers to the problems quick enough. So it just would go louder and louder and louder. And you, like, can't, you can't get out of it. I love it, but yeah, I mean, this is one thing I I, I talk about too, is, is that I feel like for so long our, our technology has evolved. You know, our brains are very flawed. Like we're we're very we're we're irrational creatures. We're bad at what knowing what's going on. And it's our technology has been developed to take advantage of those flaws rather than compensate for those flaws. And so I love I love seeing apps and programs like like these because it's that's what we need. Like these apps make us better people. Like they they actually implement the discipline and the freedom in our into our lives that we can't really implement for ourselves and um and i i think it's a it's a much needed thing but back to back to the process you know so i i would write usually from like nine to noon and then i i start getting really lazy in the afternoon so i i typically book like all my interviews and business meetings and stuff like that in the afternoon and and then if i'm really deep into a project um you know my mind doesn't shut off at night so the only way to get my mind to shut off and be able to go to bed is by sitting down and cranking out another few hours, like say eight, nine, 10, 11. Um, and then by then I'm probably like in a fetal position under my desk and crying and, you know, thinking nobody's ever going to read anything I write. And so that's a good time to go to bed. <laughs> only 7 million people are going to read it. Don't yeah. <laughs> this, you know, what I love about your work is that you're not scared to go anywhere. And mm-hmm. one of the, one of the topics that you tackle here is religion. Mm-hmm. Why did you feel it was important to discuss religion and hope in this book? And, and maybe you could sh- shed a little bit more light around the, the process there. I think religion, it's funny because I get asked about religion for years and I've never touched it 
for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But I felt compelled to go there with this book for, for a couple reasons. One is I think religion is one of the central sources of hope for most people on the planet. You know, talking about that better vision of the future for a lot of people like Jesus or Muhammad or whoever, like provides them that vision. And it and because it's a belief in some sort of supernatural being, that vision is unshakable. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. If you're a Christian, you still believe that, you know, God and Jesus did all this stuff and you're going to heaven or whatever. And most of the time, even if something does happen in your life, it just draws you closer in a lot of ways. Yes. And so I, I felt like it was impossible to not talk about religion, but I really wanted to be careful. Like I'm personally an atheist, but I wanted to be really careful to talk about religion in a way that wasn't divisive or judgmental because I, I, I honestly, unlike a lot of atheists, I think there's a lot of psychological benefits and, and, and fulfillment to be found in religious practices. So that that was the first reason. The second reason is is that there's an interesting trend. If you look at, there's a lot of studies that show that religiosity is is going down in the modern world in like the last few decades. What and do you that, think that is the rise of science, or just I, like I think so. Science access to, access to information. Yeah, I think science, technology, access to information, like we were talking about. I also think a lot of it is just that social life. So social life used to revolve around the church or the synagogue or whatever. Social life doesn't revolve around those things anymore. So that's been happening. But I, I find it kind of unavoidable to notice that a lot of the like secular groups um, from political parties to, you know, sports fans to, you know, even even people like brands, you know, people, there's a religious component where we were talking about Tony Robbins. There's a religious component to a lot of these like corporate and secular uh, groups and entities that's arising that you didn't see before. Like the, I don't think it's an exaggeration to call a lot of what we see in both political parties in the US, like it's religious behavior. I think a lot of the behavior you see around brands like Apple and Nike and stuff like that, it's religious behavior. So I wanted to investigate that too, because that's also a source of hope, you know, it, it's, if you're feeling like you have no aim or vision in life, but you really care about a certain cause and this political party is like championing that cause and doing everything they can to like make sure it happens like that, that becomes your avenue for hope. It's in a weird way. It's, it's a way that I, I see a connection between, you know, all these increases in depression and anxiety and suicide and whatnot. And then also kind of the, the religiosity of, of politics and, and corporate life that's been happening. Well, I like the way you break it. I mean, even in your first book, you you don't only, when, when you read your work, you don't just look inward at yourself. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a, that's part of it, right? Sure. Looking in the mirror and really analyze yourself. But you also call society out in general. Like, I, and, and why I wanted to bring up the, the aspect of religion is whether it's a political party or brand or mm -hmm. an actual religion, you, you write about the us versus them dichotomy. Yes. And I think that is interesting like even the things like if you like one of the things you wrote like if you don't like example you use if you don't support the war then you support terrorists right? yeah. it's like basically pitting you know it's like if you're not with us you're against us yep. or god created science to test faith in god therefore anything that contradicts the bible is merely tests of our faith in god like you write these these ways and it really you know i'm not for or against one way or the other but sure. it, it at least forces the question of like actually am i looking at this in an unbiased open-minded way or am i Looking, or am I just being completely biased yeah, here? And and it's so there's a whole section. Anyone who criticizes feminism is sexist. Like, yep. Yeah. And I've gotten that a lot. Like I've actually gotten a lot of emails of like 
just for criticizing a woman, mm -hmm. people call me sexist. I'm like, well, no, those are very different things. <laughs> just because I criticize one woman doesn't mean I'm criticizing all women on the planet. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, there's a very long section in that chapter about the us versus them dichotomy. And, and I think it's important because we all kind of our natural psychological tendencies is to fall into these dichotomies. Like it, it, it is the tribal heritage um, of our of our species is to start to be biased, to see certain in-groups and out-groups and to um, see people who are similar to us as more righteous or more, you know, or better, superior than people who don't, are different than us or share different values than us. And the only way to really surmount that is to A, be aware of it and B, kind of be skeptical of this, this whole hope business in the first place. You know, it's like we need these visions in our lives to move us forward. But if you, if you cling to that vision too tightly, it becomes destructive. And, and you, you, you start finding you, if it comes down to hurting another person or protecting your hope vision, a lot of people will protect their hope vision and, and let the other person suffer. And, and it's that I think is, is, you know, the fundamental kind of moral question, um, that's going on today. Sounds like we need to take the reins into our own hands and not let outside influence dictate where we're going. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's hard because we we need to engage in society society and listen to other people and care about other people, but it's also at the same time we we can't let ourselves get so. And again, coming back to the technology, I think social media and just the media landscape in general right now is conducive to forming these in groups and out groups, these us versus them dichotomies, very quickly and very intensely. Um, like it's amazing. You'll see something like my, my, my vice right now is Twitter and it's amazing how Twitter, it's, it's wild out there. It's, oh man, it's, it, yeah, it's crazy. I don't even read the feed. I don't even, I don't click the feed. I know. I know. And I don't know why I do. Don't but, do it. But it, it's, it's, you'll see these like flare ups. You'll see like some are, there'll be like two economists, like one, you know, there'll be an economist at like Stanford and another economist at like Harvard and they disagree about something and then you, you go into the comment threads and it's like by the time you get to comment number eight. You might as well read Daily Mail. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's <laughs> Actually, just, the Twitter feeds are somewhat maybe even more it's a lot worse. Yeah. But it's, they, it's just people trashing each other and slapping labels on each other. And so I think there's something about this, uh, you know, the media, social media, but also the media in general today, the way information is kind of transmitted throughout society. That just makes these us versus them dichotomies like flare up really fast and really intensely. I really don't like where we're getting into society where it's like one side or the other. Yeah. I think that's so dangerous, right? Like yes. you could be fiscally conservative and socially liberal, but at this like in society now, if you're if you're on one side or the other, it's like, nope, you can you have to be one or the other. And yeah. any issues that fall in if it's not on this side of the fence, then you then then you're over you can't talk about it. Like I, I hate that that's where we're where we are because you know, I don't get too political on this show, but mm -hmm. being in a position where the decision's already been made for you based on the side that you de or the side that you decide to to identify with is is a bad position to be. Yes, in. I agree. And the other thing that drives me crazy is that people instinct instinctually try to like find which side you're on. You know, I, I get emails all the time 
you know, trying to figure out which side of the political spectrum I'm on, which side of each issue I'm on. Um, and if it's like, there's any hint that I'm on this side or that side, like, you know, I'll just get blasted by the other side. Um, it was funny actually writing this book. One thing that I very intentionally did as well, because I have, you know, I have a lot of readers. I think most of my readers are probably on the left, but I have a very large readership on the right as well. And so I really wanted to write this book and have a serious conversation about religion and politics with that could be read by either per either side, you know, conservative or liberal, and both sides would see themselves and see like bridging the gap a bit. Yeah, and and I I even told my publisher I said I think I'm in kind of a unique position to do this, and I and I really want to write it in such a way that it, it's you know it's not doesn't condemn each side either side. It's or, not divisive. Yeah, and it's it's funny because there were there were some people. Um, there were some people, you know, there were some sections where people were like, well, man, don't you think Trump should, you should talk about Trump right here? You know, and I'm like, no, <laughs> that, that would defeat the whole purpose. You know, it's, it's, I really wanted to write something that was universal. And, and coming back to the, you know, being number one in 13 different countries, it's this type of this, whatever's going on here, all the polarization and the devi- divisiveness and a lot of the anxiety and stress and panic and everything is happening all over the world right now and so i want my readers in korea or india or brazil to also read it and see themselves you know i they don't care about trump or healthcare or whatever you know and there's a chance that people read this five years from now in which oh yeah be around at all totally so it blows my mind that anyone puts one speck of their energy towards trying to figure out what side you're on on an (laughs) issue like honestly people need to put energy into themselves and as opposed to emailing you absolutely worried about that in my opinion absolutely i mean i completely agree but i also it's you know they have their little tribe their little tribe is where they get hope and they like my writing and so they want they want to know if i'm part of their tribe because it'll, it makes them feel better and and i get that you know it's it's you have to be empathetic, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I see where it comes from, but I definitely, you know, and I, in the book, I argue against it. Here come the emails. Here comes <laughs> our Twitter Before feed. we wrap up, tell us where to find you. Uh, so markmanson.net is my website. The book is called Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. Comes out May 14th. Should be out by the time people hear this. Um, I'm doing a speaking tour all across the U.S. and probably Canada and Australia as well. Um, so you can check out tour dates at markmanson.net slash book tour. And then, yeah, social media. Instagram. Ooh. <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> Do I have to? Uh, Instagram is markmanson. or markmansonnet, all one word. And we'll leave your book in the show notes and we'll also leave that article that I love about struggle in the show yes. notes. Mark, come back anytime. Glad we got to do this in person. It's yeah, fun. This Told you it'd be better when we, is, when we could see each other. Yeah, anytime this, you want to come on. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> we make our way out to New York sometimes. That'd be cool. <laughs> cool. Thanks yeah, for coming If you liked that episode, be sure to go to tscpodcast.com where everything is in one place for you. It's a resource. It's got the books we're reading. It has kind of everything all in one spot. Also, if you want to win a pink, sparkly, brand new TSC pop socket, let us know your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram at the skinny confidential. So easy. We pick like five people a week. You just tell us your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram and we'll slide into your DMS and send you the cutest pop socket in the world. And with that peace out, we'll see you guys on Friday.
This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You guys know I'm a human guinea pig and I'm still here taking Ritual and loving it, okay? It's filled with iron, vitamin E, magnesium, folate, and omega-3, kind of everything. It's made in the USA without synthetic fillers. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis, so Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to ritual.com slash skinny today to choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now at ritual.com slash skinny. 